Hello there, our dear listeners. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. This is Richard, your host from the HSK ETEC team. Thank you for joining us on episode 23 of the HSK Student Pod. It's a pleasure to have you as one of our listeners. I can guess you have all been very busy, be it our student or staff listeners. But let me hope you are fine and you are glad as I do we have almost come to the end of the winter cold weather. As usual, not to let you down, I have special guests for you who are going to share wonderful messages with us and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, I'm Laura Lowe, Assistant Associate Dean for Student Experience. Welcome to episode 23 of the HSK Student Podcast. It's been a busy time in the School of Health and Social Work since the last podcast. We're now coming into spring and I'm sure you'll be pleased that it's starting to get warmer and the campus is starting to look greener. Do make sure you make time to get outside and enjoy the longer days and warmer weather. We know that many of you and your patients and service users in placement will be celebrating various religious festivals in April. We've got Easter, Ramadan, Passover and Vasaki coming up in April. So try to find out more about some of these festivals and join in some of the celebrations this month. Now, on today's podcast, we've got a number of features. We're going to hear from some third year physiotherapy students, Jade, Catalina, Esther and Maria, who will share their placement experiences and tips for coping with placements, and that will be useful for all of our students across HSK. We're also fortunate to welcome Helen Donovan. She's Professional Lead for Public Health Nursing at the Royal College of Nursing and is a Specialist Immunisation Nurse who's being interviewed by two students, Sarah Macias and Matt Woodhouse, along with Karen Atkinson, the Associate Dean for Learning and Teaching. Helen will be discussing some of the important issues around vaccinations and giving us a basic understanding about vaccines, their importance, and how they work. Today, we'll also have Just a Minute with SAS, which involves a short message from the SAS team, letting you know about some of the activities the team will be running in the coming weeks. Now, we know that many of you are working on assessments at present or in placement, and we hope those are going well. Please do seek support from your module leaders, personal tutors, and the SAS team if you are struggling. We really want to support you to do as well as you can. Now, we're coming into the last few weeks of modules, so please do remember to complete the student voice questionnaires to feedback on each of your modules. This allows us to hear what you feel has gone well and what we might need to improve in your modules for the coming groups. We do take feedback really seriously, so please do take just a few minutes out of your day to complete these. Those of you who are undergraduates in your final year will also be asked to complete your national student survey. This has been open for some time, but you still have a chance to complete it to feedback on your experience of your time here at the university. Over 60% of final year students have now completed this in HSK, which is great. We just encourage those of you who haven't had a chance to complete this yet to do so, so we can hear what your experience has been like. If you're a postgraduate student, please take some time to complete the Postgraduate Teaching Experience Survey 
so we can hear about your experience here at the University of Hertfordshire as well. To let you know what else is going on, we know many of you are thinking about life after university. And on the 7th and 8th of April, there's a BAME careers event being held. This is in person in the Western Auditorium on the 7th of April and is online on the 8th of April. So please do sign up for that if you're interested. In addition to this, the Careers Service has a lot of advice from writing applications to interview techniques. So please have a look at that to help you prepare for the next step in securing your jobs after university. Finally, this month we have nominations for the Dean's Award for the School of Health and Social Work. This is your chance to nominate staff and students under various categories. Please look out for announcements about this in the next week or two. These nominations will open on the 7th of April and will remain open for a few weeks. So start to think about who you might like to nominate. Thank you for listening to our podcast and I will hand you back to our host, Richard. Following on from our recent podcasts, it's been noticed there are lots of things as students we can learn from each other's placement experiences despite being enrolled on different programs. For this month's student success stories, we are for our guests, Jade, Catalina, Esther and Maria, all current third-year physiotherapy students from the School of Health and Social Work. Jade, Catalina, Esther and Maria are going to share a message with us related to their placement experiences and also they will share some tips that have enabled them to succeed on their placements and on their course. I now hand you over to Shipa who had the opportunity of meeting and interviewing Jade, Catalina, Esther and Maria. Hello, my name is Shipa. I am one of the tutors from the Student Success and Academic Support Team. Today I have with me Jade, Catalina and Esther. Welcome to the HSK Student Pod. Hello, Shiba. Thank you so much for your invitation to the HSK Student Pod. Thank you for coming along to the HSK Pod. Our listeners would love to hear a bit about yourself. So Jade, could you tell us the course you are currently studying and how are you finding it? Yeah, I'm in third year physiotherapy student and I am honestly finding it a lot easier than the second year. Great. What about you, uh, Catalina? Um, I'm also a third year physiotherapy student and I'm really happy of how the course is going. Like Jade was saying, third year is obviously feeling like the end of it, but it's a lot easier than the last two years. Thank you for that. And Esther? Hi, I'm a third year physiotherapy student and yeah, third year is going well. Great. So as you all know, you are here today to share a message with our fellow listeners about your placement experience and how you have managed to succeed in your clinical placement roles, despite the ongoing challenges. So I want to start off by asking you all why physiotherapy was your career choice. So um, Catalina, would you like to go first? I've always kind of like grown up interested in science and also sports. And then it got to the point where my dad started to develop arthritis. He went through a surgery, total hip replacement, and I was able to be along with his time. So from the personal point of view, he kind of like called me to be able to join the science anatomy learning with helping people. So yeah, that was about six years ago. 
Thank you for that. And what about you, Jade? I went traveling quite a few years ago around Spain and I got back problems on my journey because I was stuck like on an eight hour coach and stuck in the same position and it really messed with it. And whilst I was in Spain, I went to see a physiotherapist out there and I just thought it was amazing that they were able to help me without needing to speak the language. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a career path that allowed me to help people in that sort of way. So there was like, there was no limit to it. So that's kind of how I started my journey with it. That's great. And what about you, Esther? Well, I came to uni straight out of sixth form. So I just did some research about physiotherapy and thought, okay, this is quite interesting. And I liked the different sides of it. So that's why. Great. So as all of you are in your third year of your course, I'm sure you have been on several placements. Jade, can you tell us something about the placement structure on your course and the number of placements you have had over the last three years? I think we had two placements in the first year. Um, The first placement we had was like a two-week introduction to placement, which was nice. So you didn't really get a grading on it. And then second year, I believe, was two placements. And then this year is three. Great. So thank you for your response. Um, How about you, Esther? I've had like different types of placements from hospital settings to outpatient settings. I've had placements where it's more acute, for example, acute stroke or stroke rehab. I've had just a range of different placements that really help to kind of direct what type of physio I want to be or what area I may want to go into. I really like having that exposure. Great. Do you have a favourite placement so far? And if so, can you tell us a bit about that? I think my favourite placement will probably be my polymery rehab placement and my most recent placement in acute admissions. So with the polymery rehab, I liked that because it was quite flexible. It was community. The weather was also great as well. So And being able to go to different sites and everything. So that was really fun. But I also enjoyed my recent placement in acute admissions. I felt like I got a range of everything in physio. So I got to see so many different types of patient presentations as well. And also got to do a lot of discharge planning as well, which is really key. What about you, Jade? I think my favourite placement was one that I did in second year. It was medical, so it was in a hospital setting. And I really enjoyed that because it was the first time that I was really able to take in the respiratory side and learn different medical conditions and really get that the scene of what it's like to work in a hospital. And one that I also quite enjoyed but was also limited was the one that I recently did at a neurological centre that really works well with the, the CPC module, the complex patient care. So you get both sides of like the neuro and the respiratory, which I thought was really beneficial because you kind of get two birds with one stone. Great. So my next question is, what tips could you share to help other students regarding coping with placements, especially those students who are just starting out a new placement or encountering challenges in their current placements? Catalina, would you like to answer this question? What I'll probably say to them is just kind of like, don't stress about it so much. Like you need to be open-minded. 
You need to be able to go there with your mind ready to learn because what you are taught in the lessons, you're taught the basics, but anything can come to you. So a patient will not just come with one problem. You're going to have a different problem list and you need to be open-minded to be able to cope with all of them and find a solution for it, treat them. And also in regards to like communication, I think it's something that is very important and something that you need to have in mind all the time. It's not only the communication with the patients, because sometimes there can be communication challenges with regards either if they are deaf or they are blind, anything like that, as well as the communication with your like team members. So either other physios or nurses, speech language therapists. So it's something that you need to have in mind to be able to make sure that you are seeing the patient as a whole. Great. Esther, would you like to add anything else to this? I would just tell them to just keep going, keep doing your best. Placement is stressful. Everyone has a point where like, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed. But just keep going, keep doing what you can. And there's support within the uni to help as well. Also talking to your fellow classmates, like you're all going through the same thing and you'll get through it. That's all I can say, you'll get through it. Thank you for your response. My next question is, have the placements you have already completed influenced where and in what speciality you would be interested in working in the future? Catalina, would you like to go first? So to be very honest, I have enjoyed every single placement I've had. I've learned loads in every single speciality. So I've I've gone from pediatrics to neuro to elderly care to MSK. So at the moment, my head is all over the place. And I would pretty much like to start as a rotational band five to get more exposure and be able to come up with a a better answer for myself on what I want to specialize. So not really. I'm a bit lost. That's great. And what about you, Esther? Do you have any idea what you would like to be doing in the future? Like Catalina said, every placement has been different and there's just so much I've learned. So it's like, I kind of want to see where I go in terms of my rotation and see, okay, what really is my niche within physiotherapy? What is it that I really, really want to do and explore more in and maybe specialize in? So I think I'm just keeping an open mind now. And I think also with placement, sometimes you get a lot of different specialities, but there's also some specialities that you don't get. So I think I want to see what else is out there and then kind of decide. Great. All right. How about you, Jade? I think maybe pediatrics for me. When I was working with children and babies of different ages, I found that I was able to communicate with them quite well. And in terms of like what a physio can do for rehabilitation for them is quite significant. And you can really see the outcome of what you do with them. Great. Thank you for your response. So there is something I must ask you all before we finish. Multidisciplinary working is something that is promoted in the School of Health and Social Work. How important is multidisciplinary working within physiotherapy? Can you give me some examples of when you have positively engaged in this within your placements? Jade, would you like to go first? Yes. Say patients that have tracheostomies, it's really important to have the like speech and language team involved with that because you're working together to potentially try and wean this person off the trachea so they're able to breathe independently and swallow independently. And in terms of swallow, that's not 
our expertise in it. We have a, an idea of it, but it is the salt team that does that. You learn so much from working with other people and it just benefits the patient in which you're, you're treating. You all work together to achieve a similar or same sort of goal. Thank you for that. I've got a question for you, Esther. Do you feel it's important for students on different programs to have multidisciplinary working skills and why? A hundred percent. I think it's a very key skill and element of being a healthcare practitioner to be able to work within a team. And one of our assignments, the IPE assignment, was based on MDT working and its importance of that. So I think, yes, it's hundred percent important. And essentially, you're working with so many different complex patients. You need multiple people's input you need to discuss patient outcomes and all of those things so it's important to be able to have that collaborative effect thank you very much for that esther we are towards the end of the session so jade catalina and esther thank you for sharing a message with our fellow listeners about your placement experience what final message do you have to the hsk student pod listeners especially for the first year and second year students within the school of health and social work I would say revise a lot. You learn the basics during these two first years. So you need to make sure you learn these basics to then develop. At the same time, don't stress, have fun and ask lots of questions because you will definitely benefit from them. So don't be shy, like I was saying earlier, and be open-minded and ask lots of questions because it's definitely going to help you. That, that applies either to lecturers or to your educators once you're in placement. Great. And what about you, Jade? I would say that Try not to be on your own when it comes to studying. It's massively helpful to bounce off other people because you're all in the same boat and makes the workload not seem so much. I thought that I really didn't need to work together with people in terms of like revision and things like I thought I could do it on my own, but I found a massive improvement in my way of learning when I had other people there with me. Great. And uh, what about you, Esther? Also similar to what Jade said, like having a study buddy has made like a massive difference in just how I study. And I think in first and second year, you kind of feel like, oh, you know, I can do it myself. No, it's, it's, it's good to work with other people. It's really good. You can test each other and like she said, bounce off each other. Something I would also say is just believe in yourself and have the confidence that you will make a good physio or radiologist or whatever course you do. Just have faith in yourself because I think sometimes when it gets really hard and you kind of you're stuck on a topic and you don't really know where to go from that, sometimes you feel like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Am I even good at it? But I think it's just having that faith and belief in yourself that you can do it and get a good grade and just keep going. Great. So again, thank you very much for joining us today on the HSK Student Pod. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us at the HSK Pod. Thank you. Bye. 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 Dear HSK pod listeners, especially our student pod listeners, from the news in the last few months or the current internet searches, the word vaccines or vaccination happens to be one of the most commonly talked about topics. 
But the question is, as a student enrolled on the health and social work related course, do you have a basic understanding of what vaccines are about? And could you be able to improve an ordinary service user's understanding of what vaccines are about if you are asked to help? For this month's professional spotlight, we are lucky to have our special guest Helen Donovan, a professional lead for public health nursing at the Royal College of Nursing and a specialist immunization nurse. Helen is going to share a brief message with us that gives us a brief and basic understanding about vaccines. And I'll hand you over to Karen, Sarah and Matt who had the opportunity to meet and interview Helen. Hello everybody and welcome to this section of the HSK Student Podcast. I'm particularly pleased to welcome Helen this morning. Welcome you to the, the podcast. So we've got Helen Donovan, who is the professional lead for public health nursing at the Royal College of Nursing and a specialist immunisation nurse. And we're so pleased to have you with us to provide a spotlight on the important issues of vaccinations. Now we have two student colleagues here who are actually going to be doing most of the interview with you. So I'm just going to ask them to introduce themselves first, and then they will ask you to introduce yourself. So if that's okay. So we've got Sarah and Matt here with us today. So Sarah, could I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Hi, I am Sarah, by the way. Sarah Macias. I am an adult nurse, and I'm in second year of nursing. I do have nursing experience from before coming into the university. I'm double vaccinated, by the way, and I've done so because I'm high risk because I've got asthma, but before that also because I had a family member that passed away with the first wave of the COVID. And due to that, I was adamant of actually just doing the vaccination because it's such a high risk of not doing it personally for myself. And I'd rather just have it in my system. At least my immune system will be stronger so in case I have it again or any issues with it. Lovely. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, Matt? Hi, I'm Matt. I'm also a second year adult nurse, student. I am pro-vaccine. I've had both jabs and, and the booster. And my re- I've got a couple of reasons for that. Similar to Sarah, um, lost a family member in the first wave and saw the impact of COVID firsthand. Also being a student nurse in and around COVID, seeing patients with it, it was quite shocking. We were inexperienced, very junior student nurses and Anything that could help the environment we were in, I think many of us felt that when vaccines came along, it was a sort of a shining light to help with the the whole COVID situation. And also have a slightly selfish view that I don't want to get ill. I can't be bothered with getting ill. Pre-COVID, when flu was around, I would pay to have the flu vaccine because I didn't want two weeks off work what was, I think, £17.50 to reduce the chances of me being sat at home for two weeks not working seemed like a a smart move for me. So big reasons I'm pro-vaccine, small selfish reasons I'm pro-vaccine and pretty much everything in between as well. Thanks, Matt. So I'm going to pass over to Sarah now to start speaking to Helen about her expertise in this area. Thanks, Sarah. Hi, Helen. Nice to meet you, by the way. Um, welcome to the podcast. I wanted to ask you personally, what is your understanding and a brief introduction about yourself so other people can hear what you represent and what you've got to knowledge? 
Thank you, Sarah, and lovely to meet you and Matt. And uh, so, yes, I'm, I'm Helen Donovan, and I am the professional lead for public health nursing, and I work for the Royal College of Nursing. So in that role, I support all areas of public health, and you could argue that that's every area of health and social care because everything impacts on public health. But my specialist area is in vaccination and immunisation, and I have been doing that for probably more years than I really care to think about. And I have had a contract with the University of Hertfordshire as a senior lecturer here since I think 2003, and I have been teaching the post registration course on immunisation and vaccination for mainly practice nurses, but health visitors, school nurses, anybody who is involved in vaccination delivery programmes. So that's my background. I have a background in health visiting and practice nursing alongside many other things, health protection, etc. So that's me. So passionate about vaccination, really pleased to hear that you're both vaccinated and for all the right reasons, because lots of people have different reasons as long as you're vaccinated. It's very true. I think it's best as well than understanding that the best way is just to at least vaccinate yourself, but also protect others as well. As a nurse, you should be protecting others and yourself. And it's like the NMC code says protection for yourself and others. Yeah, absolutely. So, Helen, hello. Hi, um, Matt. Just sort of more generally, what are vaccines and why are they important? So that's a really big question, actually. So vaccines work by essentially making our bodies think that we've had the disease. So giving us some protection. And as a public health measure, vaccines have been described by the WHO as second only to clean water in terms of how they save lives and prevent illness. And the WHO have estimated that they have saved the lives of two to three million children every year and argue that if we were a little bit better in making sure vaccines were accessible to everybody in the world, that we would save another 1.5 million lives. So they are also a key component of what the WHO have now called their 17 sustainability and development goals. And for anybody who's involved in healthcare, they are something that we should be striving to achieve. So they are recognised globally as being key things to help save lives. They come in many different forms, though. But essentially, they all work by stimulating our immune system to fight off disease. So that works in the same way as it would be by contracting the infection naturally, but without the risk of contracting serious illness. So it's really interesting that, Matt, you talk about the fact that you have it for selfish reasons so that you don't get ill. And that's exactly right, because if you have a vaccine, you are lot less likely to either contract the disease or certainly to get really severely ill from the disease. So we know that in most cases, if you are infected by an organism, you are unlikely to then become infected again if you contract that same organism again. And what vaccines do is they stimulate our immune system to produce what we call our antibodies to help us fight infection in the future. It gives us sort of like a lesson, if you like, our immune system a lesson 
in combating those infections in the future. I wanted to ask you as well, like with vaccinations, like the flu vaccine, is it also like in quotations, if it's a dead vaccine, so it's not actually the vaccine, it's just so it's to boost your immune system. So if you contract something that is the same components of it, that your immune system knows how to fight it off, right? You're right with flu vaccine. Most of the vaccines that we use regularly are what we call inactivated vaccines. So they don't contain any of the live part of the virus. We do use some vaccines, though, that have live virus in them. But that virus has been weakened to such an extent that it couldn't still cause you infection. So the live attenuated vaccine that we use for flu for children, for example, is a live vaccine. But the vaccine that anybody over the age of 18 gets is an inactivated vaccine. But we have other live vaccines, such as the MMR vaccine. That's a live vaccine. But again, the virus that's in the vaccine has been weakened to such an extent that it couldn't pass on infection. So you're not at risk of contracting the disease from those infections. But I think your message here is that if you have the vaccine, you're not going to then be infectious to somebody else. You can't then get the disease. I hope that yep. answers the question. Yep. But can you also give me like a brief understanding like the currently being used and any risk factors that you see with the vaccines that are happening with them? Okay, so you've got two questions there. So I think the first one is in terms of what vaccines we have in the UK. And I think generally we're considered to be about have a very high level vaccine programme in the UK. We are able to vaccinate our population against a whole host of different diseases. And routinely we vaccinate against, I think it's up to about 17 different diseases, depending on what measures you look at for that. So we are able to protect our population against a whole host of things like tetanus, polio, diphtheria, measles, mumps and rubella. And of course, now COVID disease, we've got vaccines that are significantly helping to reduce the severe impact of COVID disease. So we're not seeing the same levels of hospitalizations and deaths. Now, with all medicines, as you know, there are always side effects and we report those side effects and we know that those happen. So as a general principle with a vaccine, what you're doing is you're stimulating your immune system to produce those antibodies I mentioned. And that whole process can make some people feel a little bit unwell. They might feel a bit fatigued. They may have a bit of a headache. They may get a bit of a temperature. Certainly, if you put a needle into somebody's arm, the chances are they're going to be a bit painful. So all of those sorts of things would be expected side effects. Some of the more rare side effects we see once you start vaccinating millions and millions of people, you may see other rare side effects. So the vaccines that we use generally have very low risk of side effects. And if people do experience side effects, you could expect those to be generally transient in nature so they don't last for very long. And this includes the COVID vaccine. And every time they would be worse if you contracted the disease itself because you're not going to give a vaccine for a disease that has worse side effects. So I think it is important that we recognise, like all medicines, that there are side effects, but that these are generally predictable and taking sort of over-the-counter analgesia such as paracetamol, making sure that you rest, take a bit of time off, 
that sort of thing, you'll be fine after having the vaccines. Did that answer all your questions there? Yes, that did answer. Thank you very much. So Helen, are vaccines more important for certain age groups or do we need to think about vaccinating everybody? And that's not just about COVID, that's about all vaccines, I guess. So I think that's a really interesting question. And each vaccine programme is essentially designed to treat and support the people that are most likely to be infected and affected by the disease. So for most of the vaccines that we have in our routine schedule, there isn't really an upper age limit. So if we think about MMR vaccine, it's important that every adult has had a record of having at least two doses of MMR vaccine in order to be fully protected. But because measles, mumps and rubella are essentially diseases that can occur at any age, what we do is we aim to get the vaccine into people as soon as is appropriate. Now, there are some vaccines that we wouldn't worry about giving to adults because we just don't see the disease in adults. So things like rotavirus, we have a vaccine that we give to very small babies. We don't give it over the age of six months. Similarly, for infections, haemophilus influenza type B, we don't give that to people over the age of 10 years of age because we just don't see the infection in those people. But for most of the vaccines that we have, there really isn't an upper age limit. But that can be quite complicated for the nurses who are delivering the vaccine program. When do you give it? When do you catch up? How many doses? So there is some clear guidance on that. But it's a very interesting question. So I would say is each vaccine program is designed to combat the disease that it's tackling. Wonderful. Thank you. Based on what we hear in the news, there is some people that don't want to take the vaccine because they're hesitant, because not only for COVID, but also because of what they hear and relations with the MMR, about what they've heard about it, the other knowledge about what they're hearing about everything, then becoming more hesitant. Do you have any like comments or information that makes them less hesitant in a way? I think the whole thought about vaccine hesitancy, I, I don't like the term vaccine hesitancy because vaccine hesitancy implies that it's almost wrong to ask questions. Whereas in actual fact, you know, you're both student nurses. I've been nursing for many, many years. It's part and parcel of what we do is to expect people to ask questions when we suggest they need a treatment or a care package or whatever. And I would also suggest that the whole concept of vaccine hesitancy isn't new. Going right back to Edward Jenner and smallpox vaccine, there were concerns about the vaccine as it was. Has it increased? I'm not sure. I think what has increased is the way that misinformation and news has spread and that the impact of social media, particularly on people's understanding. I think that's certainly true. And I think it's also that, you know, we've got more information than we've ever had before on things. And actually unpicking some of that can be really challenging. So I think this is a sort of message for all of us as nurses and healthcare professionals is how do we better support and teach the public to be a little bit more curious about what they're reading? There's a lovely blog that I use. You might be able to sort of put a link to it. It's called The Smell Test. You use the acronym SMELL. So the S is where does something come from? 
If you're looking something online, be curious about that. The M is for what's motivating the person to write what they're writing. Are they being paid for it or are they trying to sell another sort of lifestyle or something? The E is the evidence. So if you're reading something, is it evidence-based? And I also add to that, is it dated? Because the other problem with the internet is that nothing disappears. It's there forever. So what's the most up-to-date? The first L is, does it logically make sense? So if you see a headline and then you read the article, and very often it doesn't really make sense to what they're saying in the headline. And the last L is what's left out. And very often, if you're trying to sell a particular point of view, you will cherry pick the evidence. You wouldn't get a good mark at university, for example, if you were to put point, put that through. So that's a very simple way of doing it. And I think as healthcare professionals, we need to be better at it. And from a vaccine point of view, it's the crux of it and having those conversations. I feel like as well as a student nurse, second year, we've been understanding, both me and Matt, we've been in classes of understanding how to get evidence, how to understand it and how to like question what we're actually reading and seeing. Because as a nurse, we have to give the, the understanding to our patients that we're caring for. How do we know what we're saying is true? How do we Absolutely. know that we are right? Because we have to give them the right method. So Helen, taking those sort of concepts and looking specifically for COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccine, how would you respond to anti-vaxxers or people that are hesitant specifically on COVID-19? Is the COVID vaccination safe? And what are the advantages of having it? And I know we've already expressed our own personal views on it, but from your perspective. And I think that's really the crux of it, isn't it? I mean, certainly, and we've all said the COVID vaccine has been shown to be very effective at doing what we wanted it to do, which is to stop hospitalizations and to stop severe disease. Will it stop all transmission? No. And, you know, because the way viruses change and develop, it's probably not possible to do that, maybe in the fullness of time. But certainly in stopping the severe impact of the coronavirus disease, it's been very effective and stopping people getting very seriously sick. So as an, from an individual basis, it's an important thing to do. I can understand why people would be worried that the vaccine developed very quickly. But actually, when you look at the way all medicines are developed, none of the stages in that vaccine development were missed out. But because, quite rightly, the huge political pressure and the financial money that was put behind developing the vaccine, we were able to get this vaccine to license much, much quicker. The other thing, of course, is when you're testing any medicine, you need to make sure you've got volunteers to come into the trials. There were no problems getting people into the trials. So I think we can really assure people that none of the stages in the vaccine development were missed out and that the vaccines are safe. Do they have some side effects? As we've already discussed, yes, they do. But those are transient. And the more severe side effects are predominantly transient, but they are also very rare. So by and large, I think that's the message that we should be saying to people. Will the vaccines stop every infection? They, they obviously don't. But do they stop people becoming very sick? 
Yes. And the evidence is absolutely clear from a public health. So I think it's really important that we get that message. Is it likely that we're going to have to have additional boosters? Yes. And as with other vaccines that we use in part of the schedule, boosters are often needed to boost that impact and to make sure that we've got enough antibodies. So, you know, there's a lot of further stuff that will come through. But that's another thing I often say to people in response to this is vaccine programs always evolve and develop based on what we know about the disease, but also what we know about the vaccines. So that in itself, I find reassuring. I know some people say, oh, well, it always changes. And the fact that it changes, it's again, it's us being able to respond to the evidence. So does that answer your question, Matt? It does. Thank you. And it kind of leads into another point, sort of unusual situation at the moment where if you want to work in health and social care, you have to be vaccinated. As of today, it's still not 100% from the government whether if you're going to work in the NHS, you need to be vaccinated. That initial have your first dose deadline has passed and we're not really 100% sure what's going to happen next. What do you think may or may not happen? I know it's a difficult question because we're not sure, but one thing I suppose we've all learned, whether you're pro-vaccine or not, that over the last two years, things can change quite quickly. So I think that is a very hot topic of conversation. The government announced on the 15th of March this year that they would revoke their plans to have vaccination as a condition of deployment for staff in England in NHS and social care. So that means that there isn't a mandation or a requirement. But we do know that a lot of organisations, a lot of health and social care organisations do have vaccination as part of their contracts of employment. Now, that's not new, actually, for healthcare staff. Certainly throughout my career, I have had my hepatitis B status checked. I've had my BCG status. The last few jobs I've gone for, I've had my MMR status checked. So I think the fact that there are vaccines recommended as part of employment because you're in that risk situation is not new. And I think Sarah mentioned the code. So for us as clinicians, as as registered nurses, we have to abide by the, the code. And the code is very clear that we need to take all reasonable steps to protect our patients, but also the wider community. So by being in an environment where we might be exposed to different infections, part of having the vaccine is to stop us becoming seriously ill, taking the vaccine home or spreading it to patients. So I think there are lots of messages within that. So fundamentally, I don't think that making vaccines a sort of mandate is very helpful because it raises all sorts of issues with people. It becomes very divisive. And people then argue about what goes into their body as opposed to what is the right thing to do. And that's not helpful. So the sort of mandatory vaccination and the RCN were very clear that we absolutely support everybody should be vaccinated. It's a key pillar of uh, infection prevention control procedures. But should it be made mandatory? No. And my reasons for saying that would be, if you want to have a conversation with somebody and support them in, in accepting vaccination, 
you need to be able to do that in a supportive way. And if you've got the sort of threat of not having a job, it becomes a very difficult conversation. So I think fundamentally, I think mandation, it doesn't help. But that's not to say everybody should just get out and go and get the vaccine because as nurses and as registered healthcare professionals, it is the right thing to do. Awesome, Helen. Thank you. There are also people that have allergies. So some people can't actually take the vaccine. So is that making them higher risk of not getting an NHS job or a healthcare professional job because they can't have the vaccine? So So I think we need to be very careful um, about the term allergies because it depends what you're allergic to. And this is something that we've seen throughout vaccine development. The amount of other stuff that's in vaccines is often what triggers an allergic reaction to the vaccine. And for the COVID vaccines, they are very safe. But there are, if people have unexplained allergies, and when we talk about allergies, we're not talking about a little bit of a rash. We're talking about a complete hypersensitivity needing to have adrenaline to combat the effects of the anaphylactic reaction and needing to be hospitalized. You're not talking about a sort of mild skin rash or something. We're talking about a severe allergic reaction. And really and truly, there are very few people who can't have most vaccines, if I'm honest, not just COVID vaccines. So I think if people are worried about allergies, they need to talk to their allergy specialist, they need to talk to their doctor, their nurse, to sort of really tease out what it is that they can't have it. They probably can. Exactly. That's what I thought, because it makes them more like understanding that you can ask other professionals, just you know for yourself and so you feel more comfortable in the whole situation. Absolutely. You can give a final message. I think the, the final message is, again, you know, vaccines work and vaccines save lives. I know that's a little bit of a social media hashtag, but the evidence from around the world is absolutely inconclusive that they are probably the best thing we do in healthcare. And I probably say that I'm an immunization specialist nurse, but they, you know, they are proven to save lives. To date, across the UK, we've given 139 million doses of the COVID vaccines plus. And if you square that with the amount of reported sort of adverse events, most of them which are very mild, you know, they are very good things to do. And we have been able to see a very clear correlation in reduction in hospitalizations and serious impact of the diseases. So I think my final message is if you're unsure, go and talk to somebody, go and explore your concerns. Don't just say no. Go and talk to somebody who knows about it and who is able to you know, give you the information that you need. And if you see stuff on social media, be curious about it. Use that smell test. Thank Brilliant. you very much, by the way. Thank, thank you, Helen. Helen. Thank, I'd like to thank you on behalf of both Sarah and Matt and also for the whole of, of HSK for those really important and clear messages. That's been a key thing for me. And uh, I think it's been really interesting to hear Sarah and Matt's take on this and, and their own experiences, particularly, Helen, I think, you know, very clear. And obviously, we have a big nursing contingent in the school, but we also have lots of allied health professionals and social workers, midwives, and so on. And, you know, I think the messages are equally important for all of the students who are working in our 
health and social care setting. So yeah, just like to reiterate the thanks. And it's been really, really interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me and thanks for setting it up. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Just a Minute with SAS, where you receive updates on services being offered by the Student Success and Academic Support Team, also known as SAS, to HSK students. This is Shipa Begum, one of the tutors from the HSK SAS team, and here is a glimpse of what we have for you in April. We are offering early morning appointments every Friday at 7am online. So if you require academic skills support but cannot attend the drop-ins or an appointment during the daytime, then book an early morning appointment by visiting the Academic Skills Advice site. Here is also a reminder that we are still running evening drop-ins every Wednesdays from 7pm to 8pm via Zoom. You do not need to book to attend the drop-in. To access the Zoom link, please check the Academic Skills Advice site. Remember to make use of the SAS team. We are here to help you with your academic skills and assist you in getting the most out of your study. So do check out the HSK Academic Skills Advice site. If you would like to contact us, please send an email to hsk.skills at hearts.ac.uk. Thank you for listening. I wish to thank our guests, starting off with our lovely physio student guests, Jade, Catalina, Esther and Maria. Thank you all for sharing with us some of your placement experiences especially the tips or strategies for coping and succeeding on your placements. It's nice hearing the wide range of placement experiences you have all had on your course, but it's also very good to hear the wide range of strategies you have all shared as third-year students. I'm sure our student listeners have enjoyed a lot from your message, especially the first- and second-year students who are working so hard to be where you are. Thank you, Jade, Catalina, Esther, and Maria, for your beautiful and empowering message and all your shared study tips. We are wishing you all the best in the remaining part of your course, and I'm sure you'll be very good HSK student ambassadors. This is a call to all other students out there. Please do get in touch if you have got a message to share with us. Also need to thank Helen for giving us a beautiful and very informative message that has provided a spotlight on some of the important issues about vaccinations. You have definitely educated us and improved our awareness about vaccines, their importance and how they work. Your message will be very helpful to our HSK students who are very likely to meet service users that may have some questions related to some of the points you have raised in your message. Indeed, we are going to start using your wonderful idea of the smell test whenever we come across tricky information on the internet. Thank you, Helen. You have been a great guest. Not to forget, I also wish to thank our special interviewers, Shipa, who had the opportunity to meet our lovely physio students. Thanks to Karen, Sarah and Matt, who had the opportunity to meet and interview Helen. Thank you all for giving us the beautiful and informative interviews. 
We always appreciate the time taken by our HSK student pod interviewers. Also wish to thank Laura, our assistant associate dean for learning, teaching and student experience. Thank you, Laura, for sharing with us the important news, plus keeping us up to date on what's going on in the school. Thank you, Laura. Thank you all to our guests. It's always a pleasure to have you on the HSK student pod. Also need to thank all other anonymous staff members who have made this episode to be a success. Thank you all for your support and creative ideas. Dear listeners, if you have not yet done so, I wish to let you know the HSK Student Podcast can now easily be accessed through a free app called CastBox. You need to install this app today and add the HSK Student Pod to your favorite section so that the app alerts you whenever we release new episodes. For more details about the CastBox app, please see your announcements that have come out on the program sites and the different module sites. This app is free if you're asked to pay. Ignore the payment option, it's a free app. Also, if you have not yet done so, do not forget to subscribe to the HSK Student Podcast so that you can always receive the new episodes automatically. As we come to the end of this podcast, I wish you good luck in your current assignments and projects. Also, good luck in your current placements or the new placements that some of you are yet to start or are just starting. For our academic staff, good luck with the teaching, marking, and all you are doing for our HSK students. Dear HSK student pod listeners, look after yourselves and your loved ones. Be safe, keep warm, and hope everything you do in April goes well for you. Thank you for joining us and for being part of this episode. Bye-bye from Richard, your host, and join us in our next HSK Student Pod, which will have something fresh and new to listen to.